Okay, we are back with the early kickoff. It is another episode of Play On Podcast with your gracious host, myself, Cal Sirius, and my comrade. Yo, what's going on? It's Ash. How you doing today, Ash? Yeah, I'm all right. Like, no team, no sleep. But yeah, you, you sure you're not feeling it right now? You're not feeling a little, uh, like, leaning to one side? I'm not going to lie, I have quite a lot of energy. Even my voice is sounding quite lively at the moment. By 7, 8 o'clock today, I'm going to be gone. But right now, I'm actually in a sweet spot. Let's see what happens towards the end of the pod. Ash might have one eye closed. (laughs) If we just hear that heavy snoring or heavy breathing, (laughs) we know it's not you, Cal, isn't it? Um, Talking about heavyweight boxer, shout out to Tyson Fury, the lineal champ, the WBC heavyweight champ. Absolutely amazing fight last night. I know that's why Ash stayed up. Uh, Quick summary of your thoughts on, on that fight, Ash? No, I just, you see respect where it's due like Tyson Fury um yeah you are you're, you're top notch um um Deontay Wilder great heart um great determination to stick in there and to to, to put himself forward three times um against Fury is uh, it was a great trilogy it was a great fight last night but yeah praise praise to Tyson Fury he is he's such an amazing boxing man he's unorthodox he's big he's strong but I really want to talk about the cerebral element of his game yesterday and, and, for, and over the last three fights. He's been he's been exceptional. So, yeah, credit to credit to him. We could do a whole other podcast on that. Um, but this is the play on podcast. So we're going to focus on the football. Um, and there has most definitely been some football. There's been all kinds of crazy news in the footballing world recently um, revolving around one club in particular. Now, I've kind of uh, I've got my Wikipedia out, Ash. Mm-hmm. So I kind of you know I like a bit of Wikipedia. I kind of want to do a little bit of history on Newcastle. Um, yeah. A shout out to our other co-hosts um, and uh, those who, who couldn't make it today. But let's talk Newcastle, man. Let's talk Newcastle. So let's talk Newcastle. The big news story in Premier League football is that Newcastle United FC has had a takeover. Right. Mm-hmm. New investors, foreign investors. So looking at Newcastle, right, the area they're from is Newcastle upon Tyne. I quite like that. You know, most areas in the UK just have a regular name, London, Manchester, Birmingham. But they are Newcastle upon Tyne. Like, it kind of tells you there's the, a bit of a history and a bit of a tradition that they've preserved up there. Mm. Um, and um, it was actually the area was actually the first recorded settlement Um under the Romans. So the Romans kind of coming over from the North Sea and settling in an area called Pons Aelius, I believe, um, which uh, is the area that we know now today. And uh, what I can see here in Wikipedia is it was William the Conqueror's son who built a castle there. And then the, the area was called after, you know, the new castle that was built by William the Conqueror's son. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's in the northeast of England. It's uh, less than uh, 10 miles from the North Sea, and it is known historically as like a, a shipping and manufacturing, shipbuilding and manufacturing area. And it was one of the largest uh, for that kind of thing in the Industrial Revolution. So one of the largest shipping and uh, manufacturing hubs. A great piece of history for the city to have. And, you know, when you kind of 
fast forward into the future they're now known for so many things up in newcastle um you know they've got the university up there um they they've got their brown is it newcastle brownell which is there you go newcastle brownell but yeah i drink that from time the nightlife is meant to be really lively up there as well yep yep some famous landmarks with the uh the millennium bridge and and stuff like that um and uh and they're known for the arts and arts and culture uh apparently the uh the tv personalities and decker from there if you didn't know um and then you've got the uh the famous british bakery chain greg's is from newcastle as well um so yeah shout out to newcastle it sounds like they've got a rich history in the area there and then you've also obviously got newcastle football club um so it's a it's a it's a modern university town they've got a lot going on in business and science and and obviously football so newcastle united the football club was founded in 1892 um when newcastle east End and newcastle western teams kind of merged together uh and uh, it, the club has got a rich history absolutely rich history right um they've won four league titles six fa cups and a charity shield um an intercities fairs cup back in 68 and 69 and even do you remember the old uefa intertoto cup ash into two bob yeah the intertoto bob cup they won that. They won the into two Bob Cup in two thousand and six, and they've actually got the ninth highest total of trophies won by an English club. Um, so, in terms of the size of the the area as well, I think they're um, they're one of the biggest cities in the UK, um, one of the UK core cities, as it were. Um, so they're huge for the economy. The football mm. stadium obviously contributes to the, the economy. They've got a capacity of 52,000, right? Mm. And the very interesting thing for me is that the club's most successful period came between 1904 and 1910, and that's when they won an FA Cup and three league titles. Um, so this huge history in the club there. They've been relegated twice, and... Both times they got relegated, they got promoted the following season straight away as the league champions. So they returned to the Premier League as the winners of the championship in 2010 and in 2017. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's it's an incredible history in the club. And they've been down for a long time for pretty much everyone's lifetime who's been around today. They haven't seen Newcastle winning league titles. They haven't seen the success. The club's been down and the Magpies rise again with new foreign investment into this absolutely huge football club mm. just I, I honestly just reading all of that it kind of got me a little bit excited you think i want to go up to newcastle you know i want to go and check oh, it you're out. on it yeah i have never been up there so away uh, to time yeah hey man it, it seems like time. something to check out and yeah and if you can get a ticket and go and watch some of the football they're playing up there things are definitely going to be hotting up um so these new owners now so who's taking over the football club um so yeah mohammed bin salman um is the saudi arabia's crown prince he's like the main face of or the main owner of this um this takeover um and he's he's his money is long (laughs) very long (laughs) they said estimated 320 billion pounds absolutely ridiculous bought the club for 300 million 
which is just a, a drop in the ocean compared to his total worth. Mm. And um, there's actually like a, an organization behind him as well, isn't there? Which is the uh, the PIF, the yeah. Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. Mm. So it's kind of like government money involved in 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 that. The money coming from from the the kind of oil. Yeah, partially it could be some of the tax that comes from the oil. That's only what investment funds are. So yeah, it'll be it'll be that as well as some money from from um, government. We've got an article from the BBC here that says the PIF is essentially a state savings account mm. for the Saudi Arabian government. Um, that's kind of interesting. So it's a savings. So the government puts this money into this fund, like a hedge fund, mm. and maybe it's the interest that comes out of it. These these are money that gets. This is money that's generated and distributed probably back into the government, and mm. also profits go to the PIF mm. and uh, the prince is obviously the owner of the PIF. Um, and with the amount of oil they have over there, I mean, mm. wow, we've got a petrol shortage over here in the UK. I don't think they'll have any problems over there. <laughs> yeah, no, they're Gucci. The thing, the thing with this takeover is, whenever a takeover like this comes, um. I always look at kind of like where the team is and then I essentially work out the time it's going to take for them to really maybe have the have the um the impact on maybe the top four and and above so if you think about when Chelsea came in Chelsea were kind of they've been they'd won trophies they had some good players already Roman Abramovich came in injected the money and then they became like a title challenging outfit within a year and then obviously two years later within two years they had won the title right man city when the guy when um the um i remember the family that runs man city when they came in they came in what 2008 and eight but because of kind of like the the nature of the club where they were at and what they were trying to kind of do it took them a couple more years to kind of do it. Like, I think their first title came in 2012 after pouring quite a lot of money into it. Um, Newcastle quite a long way off of the top four, right? So I think as much as there's this instant kind of like injection of cash, I actually think the transition from Newcastle to get from where they're at now, which is a little bit of a flirt of relegation, but should be okay, to really challenge in top top four top six may take two or three seasons just for them to get towards the top six because i really think the gap they need to they need to they need to close down is is quite substantial in comparison to the last two teams that had like monumental takeovers mm, interesting that um before we, we move on to talking about the team in particular mm. um uh you know we can say that the amount of money coming in is, uh, you know, is, is going to be astronomical. It's egregious. Um, if you look at what the other clubs have, um, over at, in London, we've got, you know, Roman Abramovich is worth like just under 10 billion. Mm. Um, you know, Daniel Levy worth just under 4 billion. Stan Kroenke worth just under, uh, well, just over six, 6.3 billion pounds. Mm. And this this Saudi consortium headed by the prince at Newcastle, they've got three hundred and twenty billion. Three hundred and it's 
it just it's the, the, I can't even comprehend how much money that is and how much could potentially be coming into Newcastle over the years. I'll show you my bank account if you want to know what that looks like. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I wish. But it, it, it is it is really exciting this this thing. I think as a new as a neutral fan, it just kind of looks exciting to me. It kind of looks like. They're, they're going to be doing what I do in video games, isn't it? Like you take over a big club and then you just spend like hundreds of millions. Like, but they're doing it like, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, but, I, I saw a funny video where they had um, um they had um Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, uh, Pogba, and Kante in goal. <laughs> Kante in goal, just for the sake. Yeah, just, for the, just for the sake of it, like it was absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, like you said, just it's an obscene amount of money. But like I said, just having lots of money doesn't always guarantee a level of of, of success. It needs to be put in the right place. The, the the manager to me is the big kind of question mark now. Um, does Steve is Steve Bruce the face to move Newcastle to a top four club? I think. I think not, and I think he's he's the big the big person who's going to probably be the most worried about this. Well, here's here's the thing. Yeah, he. I think he's definitely going to be under pressure. But here's the thing, right? In terms of a plan, right? What 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 should be happening here? Should this be okay? Now that we've got some serious investment that can come to the club, should this be? immediate investment and 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 immediately expecting to qualify to finish in the top four and to to challenge for for trophies or should this be a gradual like you know like you work in phases like phase one Mm. build a team that you know bloody stays up in the premier league Phase two, build a team that can compete and, and get into the top six. Phase three, build a team that can get into the Champions League. Phase four, build a team that, that can challenge. challenge for the title. And I think <clears> if you look <throat> at Manchester City, they progressed in phases as well, didn't they? Mm, yeah. It wasn't all overnight success. No, 100%. And, um, Chelsea, Chelsea's was the nearest we've got to overnight success. But again, like I said, their their starting point was... They were around the top four anyway and had top four quality players. And then they just had the injection. I think I think the point you're making is true. It is about phases. But that's the whole point I'm trying to say. Steve Bruce probably isn't even in their thoughts for phase one. Like they like you've got someone like Antonio Antonio Conte, who you could give him phase one right now. And then knowing that he he's good enough to take you through phase two, phase three and phase four. He's not doing anything. He wants to come back to the Premier League. He wants a project. He wants to be able to spend money and get the players in that, that he wants. As much as as much as it would be great for Steve Bruce to have a to have a chance. I don't I don't think he's his face fits, if I'm honest. And I so, genuinely think that they would rather have someone else in so their, just- their man. We've just discussed the history, the rich history in uh, Newcastle upon time. Do you not think that it would be important to establish a strong history, to continue that strong history, maybe to have an English manager, maybe to sign lots of English players, maybe even local players to, to look at youth development? Do you not think that for at least this first phase, someone like Steve Bruce can continue to to run the ship even nah. even just you know even if it's just you just 
look us look after the club until the end of the season while we sort out things going on in the background we look at infrastructure we look at you know bringing in youth coaches to to get us better quality uh, academy players while we look at you know setting up a scouting network and feeder clubs while we, we build this whole thing out for now just keep us ticking over and then maybe in the summer you know, we'll appoint a man that we really want to take us long term throughout all of the rest of the phases. No, because it doesn't necessarily mean that a, a man who they want to take long term is going to be available. Like I said, there's a world class coach who's not employed at the moment. So if you can get him, why not? It's one of the things I've spoken to about Arsenal that if when certain coaches are available, you get them. Chelsea did that. As soon as as soon as um, Thomas Tuchel was available, they got rid of Frank Lampard and look what he's done for them already. Like when there's when there's top quality available, you like like you grab it. And actually, for me, the appointment of the manager, which I think definitely is going to be ha- is is going to happen, is going to tell me more about where they want to go with this. Because you can buy lots of players, but you still need the right manager to, to shape that team and to be able to move it forward. So, if they were to get someone like Conte in quite early in the process, that would really be a sign of intent for me about what this Newcastle regime is looking to kind of do in the next few years. That is very interesting. So you don't think there's any chance that they may go the way that Arsenal did and think about, okay, what we want to do is we want to bring in a coach who can take this club forward, look at youth development, preserve some kind of history. Maybe, you know, you go for one of these young upcoming British managers. No, Arsenal done that because, because we don't have that much money. They've got unlimited. They've got unlimited money, so why not have the best coach to spend that money? Okay, okay. So we talked about players. Um, I put together this little list of potential players that uh, you know Newcastle could go for in January. So it's supposed to be a realistic team full of players that Newcastle could sign. But um, you know, before we went on the air, you kind of rubbish some of the signings straight straight away. Take take us through your opinion on some of these signings. So up front. Jamie Vardy, realistic signing, good signing or not? It doesn't make sense to pick Jamie Vardy at the age that he's at. So, like I said, you want this, you want this, this team to to get out of phase one. He's not going to leave Leicester. He's very much content. Um, he's a Premier League legend with Leicester City. Newcastle's not really gonna. Why is he gonna, not going to leave Leicester? Because he's in the like the 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 the, the evening of his career. There's no real need for him to go. Like he's he's I don't see him going. Um and yeah, they may throw him say two hundred thousand a week or whatever, but sometimes it's actually more about what you've established and what you've got rather than wow. just cha- just 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 wow. chasing the bag. Like he's I, I, I he's can't well. see if Newcastle made a bid for Jamie Vardy and were prepared to give Leicester whatever they wanted for him in a transfer fee and to pay whatever wages Vardy's comfortable on. I can't imagine a scenario where he turns around and says no. But but that's, this, that's your opinion, this, but this is what I'm saying. But hold on, if you're if you've come in with 320 20 billion, why is Jamie Vardy going to be your first choice striker? Purely from a realistic point of view, because I think what you're saying is you bring in Antonio Conte and then you sign um, Haaland. But I think that's unrealistic. 
Oh, I'm not saying Haaland, but I'm just saying Jamie Vardy at the age of 34, 35, it should not be their transfer target. Okay, in my opinion, he's just a player that will come straight in and hit the ground running. Like you say, he's a Premier League legend, experienced goal scorer. He's just going to score goals. And that will get you through till the end of the season. Where are you finishing the table with Vardy up front? I don't know. But you know he's going to be putting the ball in the back of the net. That's guaranteed. Now, there are obviously other options. You could talk about maybe Harry Kane or whoever else. Is is there anyone you would prefer to sign? Maybe you go for Mbappe in general? No, I don't like obviously like Kylian Mbappe, Haaland, like Neymar, those players aren't coming in January. I'm not say I'm not saying that at all, right? What I'm saying is I just I think Jamie Vardy, considering his age, his profile and, and where he's at at the moment, he's almost being phased he's gonna start being phased out. I think they're gonna play him up front this side, but then the best we saw of Leicester last year was when Kelechi and Nacho was playing up front. And actually I really think they it could work for it could work for Leicester in the sense that they get an amazing deal and then they can actually really move the club forward with Kletchi and Atso and and Pats and Dakar, right? But I still feel like the, the the legend of Vardy will kind of remain there. Who's a good striker who I think they could kind of get who's 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 of a decent value? Um I'll come back I'll come back to you with a name. All right, I'll come, so I'll come we'll come back to him in the striker. How about yeah. winger? So we, I've got St. Maximan staying on the left wing. You know, I'm a huge fan of Alan St. Maximan. Yeah. I'm really happy that this has happened for him because he's now going to be able to play with incredible players, raise his game, and we're going to really see a new Alan St. Maximan soon enough. Um, but on the right wing, I've got Rafinha as a realistic sign-in for Newcastle in January. But to me, Rafinha is uh, he could go to he could go to he could go to Chelsea now. He could go to, he won't, probably wouldn't go to City or or Liverpool, considering the players that they've got there. But he could go to any other club, like Newcastle. He could, he could be in the Champions League right now, not in the Champions League in two or three years. Like he just came, he he made his debut for um, Brazil um, a couple of days ago. Helped helped in a second half turnaround. I understand the point, and actually, to be fair, that is the profile of player that I think Newcastle should be targeting. I think he's the he's the he's the archetypal player that Newcastle should be t- should be targeting in a sense of he's he's from a rival he's exceptional he's good enough to play for the top four but he's not quite there yet that signing makes a lot more sense than Jamie Vardy does to me if it was to happen. Okay, uh, for me Rafinha is kind of like a, a young talented quality player that's going to be there for a long time. However, I wouldn't think that they would need to go for too many of those because in the summer you know you think again. And, you know, that's when you probably start building more for the long term instead of maybe in January, you just think we're in a bad situation right now. Let's sign a few players that can get us over the line. If we can get the long term players, then great. But it might be that you think, you know, you, you, you appoint in new staff, you're appointing, you know, a, maybe a new director of football, maybe new scouts. And when they come in, they're going to have their own ideas and the players that you just brought in in January, you're going to have to move them on at some stage. So that, that was my thinking putting this team together but anyway in a, in a like an attacking midfield role i kind of originally went for um madison uh, but i put this out on social media and someone suggested how about lingard as someone to sort of come off of manchester united's bench and, and come straight into the first team at newcastle that makes a bit more sense i could i could see that working i could see i could see someone like jesse going there because he's not going to get as much minutes um 
and he could be he could be the catalyst a bit like what he was at West Ham. So Rafinha and Lingard as two signings would make would make would make sense for what they want to do as a project to get to get out of phase one to go into phase two. Okay, um, so so if they're going for like a, a four two three one kind of formation, you've got Saint Maximan on the left, Rafinha on the right, Lingard in behind, whoever the striker's gonna be. Kind of centre midfield, defensive midfield, Decore and Phillips I've got in there. What was your thoughts on that? They're both good players. I just I don't I don't I don't see them moving. I think Decore, especially under under um Benitez, yeah, I don't think he'll go now. I think again, I understand the kind of profile of play that you're going for. I just don't think those two those two deals will be done. How about um Neves from uh Wolves or McGinn from Aston Villa? I think I think they are I, I think McGinn is one of the most underrated players in the league. Um I think he's I think he's top quality. And actually someone like McGinn could do very well there. Nevers has kind of fallen off. He's not he's not the player that he was. I would I would pick McGinn and you know what, maybe maybe they could get someone like like um like John McGinn in. I think yeah. that's I th- I think I think John McGinn is a very good first phase sign in. In the Premier League, that's I what I was thinking that. too. But uh, an Aston Villa jump, Aston Villa fan jumped on the post and said, "You what?" <laughs> no, John McGinn. John McGinn is John McGinn's a very good football player. Oh no, no, he rates him. He calls him very McGinn good football player. And, and he was upset that I had McGinn in the team and also Matty Cash at right back. Thoughts on uh, on fullbacks to, to the tune? Matty Cash at right back, Alex Tellers of Manchester United's bench. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure about that. Again, I. I think Matty Cash is good. I think you can find. I think you could find someone a bit better, um, if I'm honest. Um, the Premier League. Yeah, like, like he's he's like he's good, but yeah. again, is he? But is he that? Is he that guy to really move them? I don't know, man. Um, Tellez is Tellez is a good football player. Um, I do like Tellez. I think I think he's a I think he's a very I think he's a very good player. Um, and then I think your centre backs were what, like Duncan Cody? Yep, with Pope in goal, maybe. If they, if they, if you think they would improve on what Newcastle already has, because that's what we're looking at, players that are better than what Newcastle already have. And I've kind of thought it would be a good idea to kind of get strong English core players. I like think, Cody, I think, Dunk, I think, I think Pope, Lewis, Lewis Dunk is a, I think Lewis Dunk is a very, very good, good shout. I think. Considering all that what he's done at Brighton, he's what twenty eight, twenty nine now. This could be a big move for him. Um, so maybe Lewis Dunk, Cody less so. I think he's in the but, England squad now. He played in the, uh, the yeah, qualifier but I actually, against Andorra, didn't he? I think I think Lewis Dunk's a better centre back than, than than Connor Cody. Yeah, for sure. And as a result, that's what I'm saying. I think I think Cody's in there more because he's a likable guy. As a, I don't think I think if you look at the ability of the centre backs who are currently playing, who are English, Connor Cody shouldn't be in that squad. Oof! Wow, that's controversial. Well, I think there's, there's a few though, reasons why Dunk may not be in the England team because he's kind of he's kind of pushing on a bit. He's about thirty years old now. And yeah, but he's, he's he's good enough. Like centre backs, centre backs, their peak is twenty eight to thirty two. So this is my thing. Yeah. So hold on. Um, so is Cody better than John Stones? Is he better than Harry Maguire? Is he better than Joe Gomez? Is he better than Tyrone Mings? Is he better than Lewis Dunk? I've just named you five centre-backs that he's not better than. So why is he in the squad? Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> would would you would, would you think he could be a realistic signing for Newcastle in January? 
probably. I just don't think he's that good. Okay, I think he's. Fair. I think he's. I think he's all right. I just don't think he's any, that good. Any alternatives in defence for Newcastle? So January, you just want to bring in some players to help you stay in the Premier League. You you can sign anyone really. Who'd you go for? Who would I go for? You know what? I think Zuma would have been a good signing for them if he stayed. I think he's because how he's gone to how he's gone to West Ham. He's a very good player. If he had stayed at Chelsea. I would have said target someone like Kurt Zuma because I think he would be a very good signing for them. Um, but obviously, I don't think he's going to move again. Um, I think that's, that would be a good profile of player for them to have. I think anything's possible. I know the money talks. So just because a, a player moved in the summer doesn't mean they can't move again in January. I don't think there's any rules saying that you can't move twice in a season. No, you can't. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Like maybe in the summer, if, if he doesn't like settle, he doesn't get as many games as he wants to. But yeah, I just don't see that happening if I'm honest. Okay, goalkeeper situation. Do you think Newcastle need a keeper? I like the Bravka, but again, but again, is Pope really that much of an upgrade? Like Pope's Pope's a Pope's a good. He's he's a right keeper. He's not. I don't think he's a difference maker as a keeper. I think my uh, initial pick was Jordan Pickford, but uh, another football fan jumped on it and said Pickford came up through. The Sunderland, Sunderland yeah, he's not going to go there. He's obviously the rivals yeah, he's to not Newcastle, go there. so yeah, that's a no-go. Yeah, he won't go there. Okay, so you're thinking Dubravka's okay. Uh, what about someone like Rui Patricio off of uh, Wolves? He's not there anymore, isn't it? Um, he's oh, gone he's to, gone? He's gone to Roma. Yeah, they've got Saar. They've got um, Saar as a new keeper. Um, they can take, take Burt Leno. <laughs> potentially, yeah. I mean, potentially. Wow. Wow, we've got a kind of a new number one. We're, we're doing new things. Yeah, a solid, solid bid in January. I don't rate him, but yeah, they can have him. Wow, Burnt Leno to Newcastle. Oh my God. Well, you heard it here first, guys. If you if you hear of any of these signings happening, you heard it here first. Um, a lot of exciting times. I mean, it's possible that they could dip in their bag and try and and get someone excited from overseas to come or you know like a, a youth prospect that hasn't quite made it yet you know like spurs went and brought that um is it, is it brian gill or brian hill i'm not brian sure gill, I yeah. to say. um so maybe you know someone at newcastle might be on their scouting game and they might go and honor for the next wonder kid um, but we'll see. It's very exciting times. And um, I'm really happy for Newcastle fans. As we say, there's a huge history, a rich history at the club. And we might just be seeing Newcastle challenging for titles and winning FA Cups once again. Um, moving on uh, from this incredible news in the Premier League, uh, we're going to take a quick look at the Nations League fixtures. Uh, we briefly touched on England playing Andorra in the uh the qualifier i think it was the uh european championship qualifier um, yeah and uh obviously the nations league and other sorry world cup world cup friendlies world cup qualifiers and then other friendlies have been happening uh at the same time in the international week um the england game i mean not much to say about that i suppose we played andorra who are much lesser team and um we won five nil like you know any any thoughts on that? Nice to see Saka scoring. Uh, no thoughts whatsoever. It's a bit of a pointless game. I know they have to play it, but I mean, five 0 against a team that probably doesn't beat some Sunday league teams. Um, yeah. One thing yeah. I will say is it seemed like uh, seemed like Southgate played a more adventurous uh, system and. 
put the personnel in to do that as well. James Ward-Prowse seems like the, the most defensive out of his midfield, um, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, yeah, you had the likes of Saka scoring goals and, and uh, some really attacking football from England, which is always going to be good to see. Um, but the real meat and drink of this international week has been the Nations League finals. We've had the semi-finals. We've got the third place and the the third place playoff and the actual Nations League final happening today on the day that we're recording. And so by the time this is out, those would have uh, concluded already. But what has concluded that we can talk about is the Nations League semi-finals. So kicking off with Italy versus Spain. Italy won, Spain two. Thoughts on that match there, Ash? Um, some, <laughs> some revenge from the Euro semi-final. Um, Italy obviously hadn't lost a competitive game in so long. I think it was 38 games. Oh, so long. Um, yeah, 38 games. It's and about two years. No, it's longer than that, you know. It's, I think it goes. I think it goes even further back because I think it's back to 2018. Um, right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was really good. Obviously, there was the um, there was a sending off of of Benucci that meant that Italy were down to ten men, and Spain used that 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 thing. It's really interesting because to see Ferran Torres um, for Spain consistently scoring goals, he had a great start to the season, and then we just haven't seen him in the Man City team since and. They haven't. Man City haven't always been the most kind of free flowing in certain games, and it's just he just hasn't been on the pitch. But yeah, great finishes from him. Italy kind of got back into the game, and it looked like they was going to be able to pull something out of the bag. I do think maybe if Italy, if it was eleven v eleven, we may have seen that like extra time. We may have seen a, a much longer game. But um, this is it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that there was a sending off which happened mm. in the forty second minute. Mm. So. A first half sending off is obviously going to hugely impact the game. Yeah. Although by that time, uh, Spain already were one new up, so yeah. it's possible that they would have won the game anyway. But, but, but to be fair, though, the game was a bit. It was back and forth then. And what Spain did is with the extra man advantage, they just kind of really like um, asset like really um, stamped their their control on the game. And as a result, it just became very difficult for. Whenever Italy would do something, there were still enough men back or enough people doing what they needed to do just to kind of like do that. And then I think what also happened as well is um, very quickly after the sending off is when um, is actually when um, they they got the second goal, um, which, again, just makes a huge difference. Like the moment that after that's happened, you've been able to get another goal in. And then, yeah, it just means that things are just a little bit easier for you as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Italy did well. Game yeah, done. yeah, Italy did well, and I think um, to even get back into the game, and they, they made it like a really nervy um, last few minutes. But do you, do you think maybe Chiellini not starting the match could have been an issue? Yeah, possibly, but I think you just need to just look look at. Um, I think you just need to look at. Can't play every minute. Like he still plays quite regularly. He's very much getting into the age of his like the 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 dawn of his career. So. Um, Sorry, sorry, the autumn of his career. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, like even then, so like obviously the booking took place in the 42nd minute, and then um, in the second minute of added time, Ferran Torres gets a 
gets a header for, for for the second goal. So those those three or four minutes were crucial. I think if Italy go in one 0 down, we've seen how good they can be in the second half in a competitive game. They come back from one 0 down in, in numerous games that actually win yeah. recently. Um, but being a man down and then two goals down, it just was a mountain too far for them to kind of climb. A huge mountain to climb. Benucci having come out on social media to actually apologise for getting two yellow cards and being sent off. Uh, one of the biggest stories to emerge from this match is the inclusion of young Gavi of Barcelona. Mm. Um, is it looking like, you know, there might be a resurgence of Spain now, having beaten the European champions, the guys who have been unbeaten for so long, breaking them down, blooding in youngsters like Gavi, having young another young player like Pedri. Does the future look bright for Spain? Does it look like they might be you know, they might be back. I think when you get when you get the generation that they got before of um, Fabregas, Iniesta, Xavi, PK, Ramos, Casillas, um, David Villa, Fernando Torres, David Silva, um, that is just such a stacked generation that naturally there was always going to be a bit of a drop off. Um, so now they are seeming to get some players and I actually think they've they've more gone to a more like kind of like direct style now as well with the likes of Torres, with the likes of um oh, who's the guy who used to play for is it Gerard Moreno, the one who plays for Villarreal. Like they've got they've got people who they can kind of like hit a bit quicker and they prefer more they prefer a quicker brand of football. Um I still feel like they need to work a few things out because I think like PK and and Sergio Busquets are their best days are definitely behind them and just it's 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 very much kind of like working out well let, let's say Pika because he doesn't play as much but let's trying to get those players kind of out and establishing fully what this next generation looks like but now they're looking good and I think maybe maybe next year is where we see the progress of them I think if they get to the semi-final of 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 a world cup that's definitely progress on getting to semi-finals of, of of the Euros because obviously you have the South American teams there as well as the the other nations from the Africa, Oceania, and um, and North America as well. Very good point. Talking about semi-finals, the other semi-final of the Nations League was between Belgium, the so-called Golden Generation, and mm. France, uh, a team that is the team that is there to be reckoned with, the world champions. The likes of uh, Karim Benzema having been brought back into the fold. Pogba playing in the form of his life right now. But would you make it this one? This, 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 the first one, I didn't actually watch the whole match, but this one, I did watch it. And I must say, this was an absolutely incredible game of football. It had absolutely... This, this, was, this was a very, very, very good game of football. Um, yeah, like just... Belgium just completely it was it was it was a ding on game and then they just really asserted their control at the, at the late part of the first half two goals Carrasco cutting in from the left and beating um, Larissa is near post and then um, well, that was a nice goal the, the, yeah, the thing about then, that goal was just it seemed like the element of surprise because you know all the, def- the defenders were blocking the goalkeeper's line of sight and then the shot just squeezes yeah. into his near post it re- it where he really would have expected it to go across well. him yeah, really kissed the near post as well. So I didn't feel too bad with Larice. Larice actually had a very good game. He made mm. some astonishing saves. There's an astonishing save in the first half, I think in the third minute from Kevin De Bruyne, which 
again, like, yeah, for him to get such a strong hand and it was amazing. And then Lukaku scored a great goal where it's been fed into him. He stepped over, he'd done a step over, spun on it, and then just, just rifled it into the top of the net. The, yeah, the power alone kind of beat <clears throat> beat, beat, beat Lloris. But again, what we know about France is, <laughs> listen, they're, they're an exceptional side with some top, top individuals and when they start pinning you back and they're finding their angles and they start working the ball and they start moving stuff, you have to do that. And it's really weird that the, the, they, they were slow in the first half, though, weren't they? Because yeah, they kind, yeah, of, yeah, they yeah, kind yeah. of were playing counter attack, just sitting back and letting Belgium have the ball, and Belgium were destroying them. It was yeah. wave after wave of attack, and France just trying to hit them on the counter, get the ball down to, to Mbappe for him to use his pace. Um, and it wasn't really working in the first half. But in the second half... When they switched to a more pro- kind of progressive style of football, so not just mm. a reactionary style of football, actually taking onus of the ball, we started to kind of see that. But naturally that happens. If you're 2-0 down, you don't have to dominate the ball in, in, in that way. You can almost sit back and then hit them on the current set because they have good enough players to do that. But yeah, I think... The first goal back is always the most important, right? So that little kind of like link-up play between Mbappe um, and Benzema, great finish from Benzema. And then it was just such a silly penalty to give away, like Tielemans for just a very, very silly foul. And then obviously it became 2-2 very, very quickly within seven minutes, so 62 and 69 minutes. And then it was just ding-dong, like Lukaku thought he won it, but there was a slight offside. And then um, Hernandez scored his, his first goal for France in the 90th minute of a Nations League semi-final. Not a bad time to do that. And that's now set up the final for, for today between France and Spain, the old the old adversaries. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I must say that game was, wow. I actually thought France were dead and buried because the way they were playing in the first half, it just kind of looked like they, they weren't they weren't going to be capable of stepping up to another gear and Belgium were just on fire. They Like, Lloris mm. was pretty much man of the match, in my opinion. Mm. Like, he yeah. made some great saves in early in the game to keep them in it. Otherwise, they could have been, like, 3-4-0 down at half-time. Yeah. Um, so, to come... But I think to come back from 2-0 down and then score three goals and and win the game in like a semi-final as well mm. of the tournament. It showed to me that they really wanted it, that this mm. tournament is Means really, it really is something to play for because, you know, it being a new tournament, maybe you weren't so sure that the players were taking it seriously. I think from uh, a kind of neutral perspective, whenever we get these games that pop up, international games that pop up in the middle of the uh, the domestic season we're so into what's going on in our premier league our Serie A, or our you know mm. our domestic leagues we don't really care so much about what's going on mm. uh, unless you're like a hardcore fan like you know you're you're someone who's buying a national team kit and you're going to the to the matches you know so i think we spoke uh before we went on air um about the importance of this tournament, what's what's your take on the on the Nations League? I think it's I think it's one of the best international um, inventions in like the last fifty years. I think it's an amazing tournament because the way they structured it is, and it's and I think it really it highlights this when we look at the current qualifying for the World Cup where you've got England versus Andorra. It's got teams that are, shouldn't be playing each other 
playing each other and no one's getting better. England aren't getting better for being Andorra 5-0. Andorra aren't getting better for getting beaten 5-0. Andorra, Liechtenstein, San Marino, Gibraltar, they should be quite low down, playing each other, having good games, becoming a better nation, trying to move up to them, play the next level below them, having your likes of your Northern Islands, your Wales, um, your Slovakias, your Slovenias, those kinds of teams. Then obviously you'll have like, for instance, like your Croatias, your Denmarks, and then you'll have like your Frances, your Hollands, your Belgians. Like we've got four rungs that work so well together. And obviously with the Nations League, it's the top, the top teams from rung A going to the semi-finals and the finals. And obviously there is scope for people to move up and move down in, in that structure. But I just think it's a great, great way. And just the quality of games that you're able to kind of see. So we've seen England play Croatia. England have played Spain. England have played, um, did they play, Ger- did they play Germany? No, I think they played Holland at one stage. They played Portugal. It's just a very, very good quality tournament. It's And it's made international football actually a lot more um um, interesting for me to watch and I'm not the biggest international fan I actually like taking a bit of a break from football when international football's on but with the Nations League I was tuned in like it would be like a Premier League weekend there you go um yeah I, I just gotta say again like really that game for, for anybody that hasn't seen it go and watch some highlights um Belgium versus France absolutely fantastic game if you can watch the full 90 minutes watch the full 90 minutes I thought France were incredible in this second half everything that they did kind of went through Mbappe and Griezmann and Benzema was on fire like like I think Ian Wright would have been really proud of that goal that Benzema scored with his uh, kind of falling over technique as uh, Ian Wright calls it um, yeah just just a brilliant game of football Great tournament and really looking forward to what's going to happen next. Mm. Because uh, as we said earlier, the finals are on today. So France beating Belgium, progressing to the final, playing Spain, who beat the strongest team we've seen in, in recent times, Italy. Spain versus France in the final. What's going to happen here, Rash? I think France are the favourites, but I think Spain have obviously showed they've got some some really competent players in good form that could that could that could do some damage. Um, I think it just depends on what France turns up. Like with France, like we said, we saw two sides and we saw the we're going to lay back, we're going to let you play the game and not really asserting themselves on the game, and then actually having the game dictated to them and then being two 0 down. But on the flip side, we saw the assertive and the progressive side of France where they blitzed the very good team and scored three goals in a second half um, and were able to kind of go through in, in, in regulation time. So I think uh, this game is what France what France turns up will dictate what happens in the match. If France aren't at it, then Spain will definitely do will definitely do well and, and win. But if France if France are as good as France can be, then Spain can't live with them. Yeah, you know, I kinda agree with that. So we'll have to see if they start the game slow again. It might be a situation where they can't get back into the game mm. um, because, as we know, Spain are a very good team and they may actually be harder to break down than Belgium mm. because they have such exceptional technique. Like their midfielders are excellent at mm. keeping the ball. Taking the ball off them is, is a task. Mm. Um, and then they've got strong defenders like Laporte in the defence as well. So, I mean, obviously we've seen Mo ha- uh, Salah absolutely destroy Laporte and mm. his defenders at Man City recently scoring a brilliant goal for Liverpool. Mm, but 
but <laughs> he's still a very good defender. It's not going to be mm. easy to do that to him. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking France might just win this. You know, uh, Paul Pogba's got himself a new funky hairstyle, uh, which looks Ooh, like yes. it's, it's specifically for this occasion. You know, he's got the. the he doesn't actually be saying Wakanda forever, boy. You can like Killmonger. Yes, facts. It's like a Killmonger hairstyle with the French colours in his braids. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I like it, man. It's different. It's like a little Met Gala something, something. Boy. Um, so yeah, okay. So France might be beating Spain, uh, and then the third place final uh, playoff, uh, Italy versus Belgium. Uh, I'm gonna go for Italy to, to to kind of be a little hurt. They're primed to be hurting a little bit, and for them to to want to win this one and make sure they're not gonna lose to Belgium. Yeah, I think it depends on who they play. They might just they might just rest players and just like try some stuff out. So depending on on um how the team that's closest to full strength, I think wins that. See that's the thing because when this tournament first kicked off, like in the group stages and in the early matches, you could see that that's what managers were doing. They were just kind of experimenting and and resting key players, playing new players, giving players debuts, trying new systems. But as the tournaments progressed, you're starting to see everyone's taking this really seriously. People want to win it. Um, so I'm not so sure if you do that in a third place playoff, maybe do that in a group stage. But we'll see. It's possible. Um. Wow, some uh, exciting stuff going on in the Nations League. And uh, we've already talked about stuff going on in the Premier League with the Newcastle takeover. Um, Other stuff going on in the Premier League is uh, a new appointment. Claudio Branieri. It's the return of the Tinker Man. Dilly ding, dilly dong. He's back. And uh, he's gone to Watford to replace a coach that I actually thought was doing a half-decent job. You know, he's got them promoted. They've just started the season. They, you know, they've done okay. And then he's got set. Um, would, would you make of this uh, this little change at the helm? Yeah. Um, trying to predict what Watford are going to do is essentially that predicting the, the British weather. Like, it's... It's really random. To be fair, it's actually they're becoming very consistent with sacking managers very early. Um, but but the reasons just don't really make sense. So I think it was a bit unfair for him to be sacked. I think um, he was just in the process of like settling his team down. They had like King, um, Saar and Dennis as a pretty coherent and, 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 and well-functioning front three. Um, I think behind it was maybe where they were trying to kind of like establish themselves and establish what, what they needed to kind of do. Um, but yeah, listen, Ranieri comes back as a Premier League um, winning manager. Um, he's also finished second as well. Um, he's, um, yeah, he's got pedigree in the, in the Premier League. So yeah, let's see what happens with this one. But um, again... I think, I think when, when Ranieri got sacked at Chelsea, he was unlucky as well because... It, for me, it wasn't just that he finished second. It was a it was a progression. He finished fourth, then he mm. finished third, then he finished second. And I thought, why wow, he might be actually winning the league next season. Mm. And they sat. I, I think he could have, but they brought in arguably their most um, their most successful manager ever, um, Jose Mourinho. So kind of can't knock them. Like when like when someone else who comes in and he does what he does, it didn't make it it didn't make Ranieri's. Um, the departure look, look 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 as bad as it could have. 
this is the thing about um, Roman Abramovich. He, he, he makes these decisions. When he takes action, he's usually very good at getting it right. Um, and maybe this is a, it's one of those executive decisions that they've done at Watford now. They've, they've identified a manager that they think is just better suited to the task. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? It may be, maybe maybe um, the previous manager lost the dressing room, and they knew that. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Um, how it plays, but yeah. I do think this 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 is a good appointment. Like you say, he's uh he's experienced in the Premier League. He knows the division, and he's a he's a very respected coach, um, and he's very well liked by the media as well. He always used to do very uh he always used to come across as very charismatic in his interviews. Not one of these managers that are like grumpy like sometimes you get Mourinho he's, he's got the hump and, and stuff like that and so I think the Premier League is a better league for him being back with us and I'm looking forward to seeing how Ranieri gets on at Watford yeah um, also in the Premier League we've got the player of the month and the manager of the month to talk about wow I know, I know you want to go with the manager so the floor is yours I was actually quite happy to, to do player of the month first, but um, yeah, all right, why not, why not, why not? Now that I've got the floor, how could I uh, refuse? So uh, you sent us a, an interesting article that looked at both the manager of the month and the player of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, now, honestly, when it comes to player of the month, I was thinking Ronaldo might not actually, like maybe he shouldn't be getting that. Like maybe he shouldn't be getting player of the month, man. Because mm-hmm. there's been there's been some good players this month. Like um our Townsend has had an absolutely amazing month. Yeah. Um Vardy's been banging the goals in recently. He's had a good month. There's there's so many other players, I suppose if you drilled into the details and you looked at all of the statistics, uh Decore's had a great month. Mm-hmm. If you looked at the stats, you might be able to come up with, with somebody else who could and win Sellers it. Sellers had a great month as well. There you uh, go. For City, he's done a very, very good month. There you go. Um, so yeah, Townsend did win goal of the month, but Ronaldo is player of the month. And to be honest with you, I don't think he's been that great. I think maybe it's more just hype because you know he he he's come back. He's the best player in the world, and he's come back to the Premier League, and it's a high profile thing. Um, but he has done well. I don't want to take it away from him. He's put the ball in the back of the net. He's done what people actually thought he wouldn't do. People thought he wouldn't be successful. There's been a few naysayers. Were you one of those naysayers, Ash? As I, I said he would be successful. I just didn't think it would benefit United um, and what they want to do and where they want to move on to. Like Ronaldo will score goals. I haven't. I've never had a doubt about that. My my whole point was how does he affect the minutes for some of the younger players? How does he affect the performance of the younger players? And how does he affect the actual structure of the of the Man United team? Because he doesn't press. He doesn't do what he like. He doesn't do a lot of the stuff. And then you've got Bruno Fernandez in there, who's a bit of a wild card as well. So I just thought it just threw the balance off, but. Individually, Ronaldo will do what, what, what exactly what Ronaldo has done so far, which is score goals and um, yeah, score score at important times as well. Yeah, so far so good for Ronaldo. Four games, three goals, uh, four starts, one uh, substitute appearance. Um, so I don't think you can ask much more from the Manchester United man. Now, when it comes to manager of the month. Oh, come on, man. Like, I don't want to get too gassed, yeah? I don't want to get too gassed. But. Okay? Because, you know, it's... it's but. That's one but. <laughs> but. it's the first time he's ever won it. It's the first time he's ever won it. And I think we have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, 
could you say that other managers have done well? Um, I mean, Graham Potter's had a really good month, a really good month. Um, possibly other managers could have got this award, but they've given it to Mikel Arteta. And to be honest with you, I think he deserves it. I think he's been working really hard at Arsenal. I think if you look at the fact that, you know, he came into Arsenal at a difficult time when the club was in transition, you got players that were underperforming. Um, you've got a board that isn't really going to be giving you Newcastle money, what they're going to have soon. Um, so it, it's a difficult job that he's come into, a difficult job. And he's got zero experience. I think we could all look at Mikel Arteta if we go back a couple of years and see that this guy was just pure potential, um, but zero actual experience. And he's had to figure everything out. Like every day has been a new challenge for him. And I think he's done well with putting out the fires that have been in, in front of him. And he's now getting his flowers. And I think he, he, he really deserves it. And I'm, I just think it's the first of many. I think he's a good young coach. We know that. He's, he's been widely recognised as a good coach. Profile has always been excellent. You know, former player, captain, club captain, leader at Arsenal. So for him to come in as manager, it just all makes sense. And I think he just needs time to be able to to get everything working properly. Like he did have us playing some sexy football when we won the FA Cup. You can't forget that Arsenal fans. There is a section of the fans that don't like him. You know, they say Arteta are out. But yeah, don't me, forget, we were me, playing some I, sexy I am, football. I am said section. All right. We were, <laughs> we were playing some sexy football. We won the FA Cup. And then he's had that dip. And I think all managers have that 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 part in their career where things don't go their way and they have to figure something out. And he's had it very early in his career and he's come out on the other side. The board could have done an Abramovich, could have sacked him and replaced him with somebody else that, that maybe would have taken the club forward. And, and, you know, there is something to say about that, you know, that they, they, they could have made an executive decision and maybe the club would be in a much better position than we are in now. And I don't want to paper over the cracks because the club's finished eighth under Arteta twice in a row. And now we're like, what, 10th, 11th in the table. However, so, I think, however, I think the, job that, the job that is there is a difficult job. It's not one for an, ex, an in, inexperienced manager. I do believe even an experienced manager. Well, we've seen an experienced manager. We've seen uh, Emery come in and struggle in the Arsenal job, although he did just just miss out on the Champions League. I don't think that was his fault. I think it, the players let him down and we should have qualified for the Champions League under Emery. But... Even an experienced manager has struggled in his job. So, of course, Mikel Arteta was going to struggle. But we're seeing a whole bunch of new players coming in the, in the summer. Things are moving in the right direction. And I think this, this management month award is the first of many. I do believe that. Okay. <laughs> um, that was a very... Um yeah, that that that, that was a, a a very thought well thought out argument. I, I don't agree. Um, I think he's done a right. I think the fixtures shifted around. I think two of the results, the the Norwich result was just Norwich. They're absolutely awful. I think the Burnley result's a good result. Um, I think, but even then, they haven't had a particularly good start to the season. So again, there's a little bit of that the outstanding result is the is the is the um, win in the North London derby. Um, and that, I think, was the ceiling deal for him. Obviously, he's won three out of three of the games in a month. Fair dues. And if he does get lots more, then obviously I will be happy because that would mean that my team's doing well. I don't necessarily think he's got what it takes to move us to where we need to be and where we should go. If I'm proved wrong, great. If I'm not, then... The one thing I would say, though, is I think he's finally now 
understood what his first team is. And I think he's made that very, very clear what his first team is. And I think as long as players stay fit and he's not changing that team around a lot, then I think our performances will become a lot more consistent and we will be able to kind of like continue our rise up the table. I like the fact that you mentioned the fixtures because I didn't mention that. And the fixtures have been kind. Yeah, even our next four. Our next four, three of, them, three of them are at home. We've okay. got Palace. We've got Palace, Villa, Leicester away. And then we've got uh, Watford at home. Yeah, so but, that's like, but, that's but here's the thing. Obviously, one, you can only be who's in front of you. Two, mm. you'd expect to win against Norwich. Burnley are Arsenal's bogey team. Like, every Arsenal manager struggles against Burnley. Wenger, Emery, you name it. Everyone struggled against Burnley with the Not type really. of players that we have. If you, look and, at our thing, if you look at our results against Burnley, bar the, bar the home game last year, and I think one draw, we tend to beat them. Aubameyang always scores against Burnley. We've got a very good record against Burnley. But we always struggle, is the point. That we struggle against everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we struggle against everyone, bro. Like... Like, this is this is the thing. Like, if you look at the facts, we have a good record against Burnley. We should be beating Burnley. Burnley hadn't haven't won a game this season. Arsenal should beat Burnley. I'm looking at the okay. I'm looking at the head to head, right? So mm. we've got um, the one nil. Yeah. Just now, then the previous game was one one. Yeah. And before that was one nil to Burnley. Yeah. Then the and then and then before that. And then the previous game before that was a two one to Arsenal, and then a three one to Arsenal, and then a three one to Arsenal. So and then there's a two. There should be a, a two nil to Arsenal as well in the thing before, and then before that we beat them three one as well. So we we won five these, games these in a row just, against them. Premier League matches. So you yeah, that's what I'm about. saying. Yeah, yeah. It was like so in our last in our last eight Premier League games, we've beaten them five. I think we no in our last nine, we beat them six times. Like we have a good record against Burnley. Four four wins out of the last seven. Yeah, and if you go back too further, it's six out of nine. Which is still good. Like we should be. It is. Burnley. It is. It is. But it's, it, it, they're they're known as one of our bogey teams. So come on. It's not like it's not like I'm making that up. Like we always struggle against teams that are quite physical, um, and uh, teams that are strong, teams that have a lot of tough tacklers. That's that's just kind of the thing that we struggle with. Teams that put the ball in the air and really test your defenders. You know, test their aerial ability. We know that we are not the greatest in the air and. Burnley know how to exploit that kind of thing. Um, but um, final point on this, I would like to say is that it was a really nice touch that when Arteta was presented with this award, that he went and kind of um, dedicated it to his coaching staff because it's not just him. He he recognizes that there is a whole management team, a whole coaching staff behind him. And he, he shared that award with them and he's got this lovely photo with him and, and all of the squad uh, receiving the award. So I just thought that was a really nice touch. And um, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. What can I say? I want Arsenal to do well. And I think they can do well under Arteta. Uh, whether or not the board will, will stick with it and, uh, you know, and, and whether the plan that they've got will succeed. I don't know. But... Uh, you know, what can I say, man? I, I, I do think the guy has potential. I think we've seen some good stuff from him. And I think there is potential to see more good stuff and even better stuff than we've ever seen before. Yeah. Hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've pretty much covered, like, uh, almost everything we've done. Uh, we talked about the uh, the Tinkerman coming back. We talked about the Premier uh, uh, League awards 
Um, we haven't quite looked at the most valuable squads yet. Um, so we've got a quick look at the biggest teams in the Premier League, the biggest teams in Europe, and how much they're actually worth. Um, so it's an article here from Sky Sports that ranked 98 teams from the top five leagues. And it turns out that Manchester City have the most valuable squad in Europe with an estimated price tag of £1.1 billion, which just just beats Manchester United's value of £1.04 billion. It's an absolutely incredible list, um, which has, you know, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Borussia Dortmund all in there. Um, so Manu and Man City are the only clubs that are valued at worth over a billion pounds. Then you've got Chelsea in third. So all the top three most valuable clubs in, in the Europe's biggest leagues are all in the Premier League. You've got Liverpool in sixth place. So four out of the top ten are all in the Premier League. Barcelona in fourth with 700, a valuation of 700. I don't know about Barcelona anymore, man. That squad's looking a bit shoddy. Mm. And then after Barcelona, you've got Bayern Munich to round up the, the top five, 761 million. And then you've got Real Madrid in seventh, 723 million. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain in eighth, 691 million. Dortmund, 587 million. And in tenth place, Atletico Madrid, 566 million. So if this is a, a metric to go by, um, looking at the, the dominance of football by player valuation or mm. team valuation, then it looks like the Premier League is by far dominating the rest of Europe with four Premier League teams in this top 10 and then only two Spanish, three Spanish teams. But the most money is in the Premier League. But what happens is, is with the with the TV deals, especially in like Spain, Barcelona and Real Madrid get a lot of money from that. So just generally, there's a lot more money for the Premier League rights and stuff like that. Like the highest spend of any kind of like network deal is always the Premier League. So this doesn't surprise me um, in any way, shape or form. I thought the only thing that surprises me is maybe that Barcelona's is so high and PSG's is quite low because... The investment they put in the summer and obviously getting Messi means Barcelona lose a Messi, but then PSG gain a Messi. So I'd be interested to find out if these figures are inclusive of Messi's move to PSG or not. Because mm. um, if they still got him down as a Barcelona player, then I think it would make sense. But actually, I would think that PSG squad, considering the, the talent that's there, um, maybe could be pound for pound the most valuable squad in, in world football. But so we've yeah. got combined wages of mm. Premier League teams or squads rather coming in at over seven billion, where in La Liga their combined wages are four point five billion. Yes, so all. this might just tell you that if you're a footballer and you get an offer from mm. a team in La Liga, uh, Bundesliga is three point nine billion, Serie A mm. three point eight billion, League One two point nine billion. If mm. you're like, like a, the next Brazilian and you get an offer from everybody, you're mm. probably going to want to go to the Premier League because you know their yeah. wages are, are, are paying the most. Yeah. Um, and it's quite interesting that the number one team, Man City, being worth over a billion pounds, is almost worth double the number 10 team, 
um, Atletico Madrid, which is yeah. 566 million. So, yeah. and it, what, what's funny is, if these teams play each other, Atletico Madrid could turn anybody over. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, remember, like, <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Like, the game's not played over. with a balance sheet. Does that make sense? Like, it's mm. played with players on the pitches. It's down to managers. It's down to systems. It's down to who's the better on the day. So, lots of teams can have lots and lots of money. Hence, why we have giant killings in cup competitions and stuff like that. Like, if it was just down to who had the most money or who created the most valuable squad then football would be very predictable and that's the beauty of the game it's not well I mean Paris Saint-Germain beware they're number 8 from this list they've only got 691 they'll, they'll, be, they'll be going up every year year on year they'll go up though because of the work that, they, that they're doing in Paris read um, so uh, having talked about uh, the money situation at Barcelona uh, Ash kind of doubted their credentials, you know, why would they be number four in this money list? And the reason for that is because he knows Barcelona are absolutely broke. And um, we've got this article in Eurosport here that Ash submitted that talks about President Laporta. Mm. And the headline is, I had hoped Lionel Messi would stay at club and play for free. you got to be kidding me, Ash. That's like me saying, I hope Barcelona come and see me playing five aside in Shoreditch and then decide to sign me up. Like that's that's that is this that is the exactly the same sentiment because that's not gonna happen in a in a month of Sundays and neither is Lionel Messi playing for free when he generates so much money for your club. Like it's just it's just a stupid stupid thing. And actually it just speaks about just how poorly run the club are. So I know you're gonna speak about the figures as well, but the losses just they're, you know what, if it wasn't for the fact that they were such a big club and how the government will kind of step in to do that, if they, if, if Barcelona were in England, they could be on the brink of administration right now and they could actually become one of the teams that go all the way down to like League One and League Two and really have to like build themselves back up again. But only because of the way that it's structured in Spain, they could never afford for a Barcelona to do that. It, it annoys me because this is... Like football is big business, as we've just, you know, discussed with the figures there. Yeah. You know, this is one of the biggest sporting institutions in the world. Everybody watches sports. Even if you're not a football fan, you know who Barcelona is. Yeah. You know them. You did like they're, they're like McDonald's and Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah. They're one of the biggest big name brands. brands, household names in the world. And this is how they're doing their business. And the president of the football club believes in exploitation. He believes the greatest player in the history of their club, the greatest player in the world, should work for free. It's crazy. Are you kidding me? The entitlement is new. Let alone just directors up and down the country and every country in the world. What are they going to think then? Are they going to think that their most prized asset, the person who's been working for their company for years, should also work for free? Mm. What are you talking about? It, 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 I couldn't be more irate. I, like I don't think I've ever read a football article that made me so angry when I read that. Mm. You want Lionel Messi to work for free, and the thing is, they signed. It even says that they signed loads of other players. They signed yeah. other players. They signed Eric Garcia, Sergio Aguero, Memphis Depay yeah. on free transfers. And when you sign a player for a free transfer, you kind of have to sweeten the deals. 
that there's going to be who knows what's in that contract there might be a mm. crazy signing on bonus because you're not paying a transfer fee for me i want 10 million euros as my signing on bonus or i want you know i want i want 1 million euros as a goal bonus every time i score a goal or i want every time i play i want an appearance for who knows what's in the contract they they've, they've signed all of these players spent all of their budget and now they want Lionel Messi, the greatest player in their history. To, to I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. And I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if this is like smoke and mirrors. If the real story is that they decided that they, because they're broke, they didn't want Messi to stay because they would mm. have to give him a really serious package. Yeah. Because they didn't want to do that. You know, they've done it this way. Like, ah, oh, you know, we thought he loved the club and he wanted to stay for free. Yeah, they've kind of hung him out to dry, and I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's a nice thing that they've done. They've 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 proper, they've proper thrown him out, which I yeah, I don't I don't agree with how they've done it. I don't agree with it at all. Hey, get get these lot on the phone to Gary V, and ask Gary to talk to them about how you're supposed to conduct business in the man, modern day man, Gary V era. He loves shouting, isn't it? Because these things are important, bro. Like Gary v loves there's shouting. some. Crooks, there's some right wrongs running. Yeah, no and this, 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 this quote from the porter just kind of really highlights that how bad the issue is. That somebody of Lionel Messi's caliber, you expect him to work for free. Mm. Does he not have mouths to feed? Does he not have a family? Does he not have outgoings like rent yes, to pay? It's, this is this is it's so disrespectful, so disrespectful. But it's really, it's really bad, really, really bad. But alas, alas, he's made a lot of money from football. He's an exceptional talent. And yeah, to be fair, he could technically pay for free and still be such like swimming in cash. But he shouldn't have to, especially when he's that good. Especially when he's that good. <laughs> Is that, you know, what's funny. I, I'm, at first, I thought, how would I how would I view him at PSG? But especially in that Champions League game against Man City, seeing him, Neymar and Mbappe and, and, they, and then beat City 2-0. I was I was here for it, man. It was nice. It was oh, nice. It was oh, good to see. That's, that has got to be one of the most incredible things we've ever seen in football. Like Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona. What? The tearful kind of um, uh, videoed speech that he made yeah. with all of his family and his teammates present. You know, he didn't want to leave the club. You could see the hurt, man. He didn't. Yeah, want to he leave. didn't. But and then he like, PSG. You have to. He sourced him straight away, balling out of control. Yeah. No. Like when you look at that goal that he scored, he's. I think that's his first goal for the club as well. Yeah. And, and what a great goal against Manchester City in the Champions League. Like just, it, it's kind of like what you would call a trademark Messi goal as well, isn't it? Kind of mm. coming in off of the off of the right, and then just bending one to link him man in, and then yeah. Ah, oh, it was it was absolutely amazing, and it was that kind of goal like that is like the difference, you know. That's the goal that wins the game. That's the goal, mm. kind of, you know, that you need a goal of that quality to beat a team that are so strong. You know, yeah. it's not going to be some crappy like lucky goal. It's going to be a goal of high quality, like what only Messi can score. Um, uh, it's the, you know what? It's, it's 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 a romantic story, man. It it really is. It's like the best player in the world signs for. Um, a team full of stars and you know maybe 
he hasn't had the best start. He hasn't hit the ground and scored loads of goals, but he has been playing some good football in a more kind of deeper creative role. Mm. But when he scores his first goal, it comes in like, you know, probably the biggest game that they've played so far since he's been there. So Yeah, he's gonna his numbers are gonna start going up, so don't worry about Messi. Like you're gonna start seeing him really kicking on soon. So looking big, forward to seeing that happen. Big game player. What a player that Barcelona have lost and that's not the only thing they've lost. They've also lost four hundred and nine million pounds uh, so far in season. Sorry, last season, 2020, 2021. Um, so uh, Laporta has come out and, and he's, he's, he's talked to Sky Sports and he's talked to them about their accounts for the end of the 2020, 2021 financial year. The losses that they've taken, the revenue dropping by 26 percent. It is this this article is 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 really damning for Barcelona. I'm surprised that he would come out and be so open because you know you might you might have to publish your financial details um and just have it on your website for like shareholders and investors to look at and stuff like that. But you don't actually have to do an interview with Sky Sports, do you? He wanted to, but I suppose like yeah, just it's probably just showing, and this is what they'll do. They'll be like, "Oh, this is how bad we were. The last regime did this." Sometimes it's just it's just political spin. Um, but yeah, they're in they're in a really bad state. Like I said to you beforehand, um, if they were in another if they were in another league, they'd probably be in administration and they would have been deducted points and even facing potentially um, relegation to a lower league. But they're managing to get away with it, and yeah, we'll see what happens next with them. To be fair, in uh, in the article here it says in August uh, the president opened up on the very worrying financial situation. Um, so you know, this is a thing where probably he takes over the club, and then he's just being open and honest about this is what's been happening. So it's got nothing to do with me. This is the current situation I'm walking into. So maybe it's a bit more of a, you know, just just be just transparent. Yeah, it's deflection, which, yeah. Which and I a level like, of deflection as well. I, yeah, definitely to let people know, hey, this isn't my fault. This is just what's happening. But I think you know, at the time they were embroiled in in a bit of a scandal with the, with the previous owners, weren't they? And so he's come in to to kind of bring back the glory days, mm. and he's just letting the fans know, look, this is what's happening. Which I actually commend him for. I'm going to give him a huge thumbs up for transparency. Everybody wants to know what's going on at their club, don't they? Mm, um, but it, it it looks really bad, and it, and it's apparently. Um, a drop from the previous year. Um, they're citing the impact of the coronavirus. The operating expenses have increased by 19% to uh, over 1 billion euros. Um, transfer income was only 56 million euros, which was also a decrease from 92 million euros. It's it's looking bad. You know, they're not selling players. They're, they're known for having this incredible academy producing youngsters you know, selling them on like like people that went to the Barcelona Academy are playing all over the world. You know, you got the it was a Giovanni and he was he was playing out in um in the um MLS and you know Fabregas was playing out in League One and you know so many of their players that have come through have been good players playing everywhere. There wasn't a there a guy here in uh, Southampton or something or Omeo Oreo I can't even pronounce his name. Uh, um Oreo Romeo. There you go. Yeah. Um. So loads of their players getting sold year in year out. I'm surprised. I'm just surprised that they could get into this situation. It's like a huge amount of mismanagement from one of the biggest 
sporting institutions in the world. Um, I would recommend everyone to go ahead and read this article. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and, um, and put that out on social media. Ah, big trouble for Barcelona. Yeah, definitely. They'll be alright. They'll work it out. They always do. They always do. Well, I think when you look at the academy, again, um, the new crop of players they've got coming through, the likes of Pedri, the likes of Gavi, um, you know, they're coming through. We've seen Ansu Fati had the injury that took him out for a large part of last season, but we've seen some of the brilliance of Ansu Fati. Um, they've got the uh, Sergio Des there, the American. He looks quite good. He's still pretty young. Um, so it, it might be a time for them to just rely quite heavily on their academy and the coaching. Um, I saw uh, another interview on Sky Sports where they were talking about uh, the reporters were actually just talking about the situation with the current coach because Barcelona aren't doing so well. So you'd think they might want to sack the coach. But because of their money problems, they might not actually be able to get rid of him. So, you know, uh, I think the figure that they reported was 12 million euros they would have to pay him out for him to leave. Um, and maybe they just, they maybe they have the money, but they don't want to spend it because that might just, you know what I mean? To the point yeah. where they can't really spend 12 million euros. Like, that might be, they might need that to pay wages or something. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it works. So it's crazy to be in that situation. It's absolutely crazy. I even says here in this in this uh, article, uh, Coleman could cost nearly twenty million euros. So there's a severance package of twelve million euros, and on top of that, if he doesn't complete a third season, then they're gonna have to pay him six million euros um, that he put up to pay the Dutch Federation to break his contract to go and sign for them in the first place. So it's like a buyback clause almost, like. What? <laughs> he he had to put up six million euros to pay the Dutch Federation, and if on the third season, if he doesn't stay there for three seasons, they have to pay him his money back. <laughs> mm, that's, that's so com- that's so convoluted. <laughs> that is insane. But this is what I mean about contracts. Man. Who knows what's in the contracts, man? That is a madness in the contract. That is yeah. a but, but here we are, man. And Barcelona can still challenge for trophies. Is another headline in, in here. Um, mm. It's true. They've got Memphis Depay, man. The guy is a baller, baller. They've got Depay in there. They've got all of these quality players, man. Griezmann didn't really work out. But... I don't know, man. I want to see Barcelona do well. I want to see them win. And I want to see... The new generation of Barcelona, the next wave of Iniestas and Javis and Fabregas's. That's what I want to see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, so Ashley standing increasingly knackered. We probably talked for longer mm. than we should have done. Um, his eyes are going to start closing up like he's put a left and a right from uh, Tyson. I'm not going to lie, you know, you, you you called it right. I think I think the fatigue has started to kick in. <laughs> Yeah, because I've been sitting down for too long. If I'm active and I'm doing stuff, I'm all right. But yeah, sitting down for too long has just killed me. Go for a quick walk, maybe have a coffee or something. Yeah, I need to get some food. (laughs) Most definitely. I hope you have a nice Sunday dinner. To everybody listening, I hope you did have a good weekend and a nice Sunday dinner already. And you're going to have a good week ahead of you. Um, You know, keep washing your hands and doing all of that hygienic stuff we're supposed to do in the post-pandemic 
error. And we're going to catch you on the pod next time. Yeah, man, keep being nice to people, man. You don't know what people are going through. So just keep being nice to people and keep the energy up and you'll get it back in spade force. And we are out. Peace. Peace.